0: Hell that pass to Pluck? Here come the Aces on the run. De-Energizer. Looks for Ty Young. to the hoop. Off the glass and good! Live in the entertainment capital of the world,
1: uh, mercy. it's the T.C. Martin Show. Show. Here we go.
0: Get ready for the fourth quarter of game number four.
1: It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor.
0: He's going to let one fly. Chance three. Chance three. De-Energizer put a three from half
1: court. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? T.C. margin. There are six seconds to go, and De-Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable 3 to give the Aces the
2: lead. The doctor is now in, in. In.
0: In. Glad to have you with us on this wild Wednesday. No doubt about it. In wild night last night, the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay. As the Aces victorious, 96-90, they lead the best of, si- best of five WBA semifinal series. One game to love. 7,009. That was your attendance last night. That's right, 7,009. And tomorrow, more than that. 9,000 expected sellout tomorrow night at the Michelob Ultra Arena. So finally, people are hearing the message. Get out and support this team. It's playoff basketball at its finest. Great time last night with the Aces, defeating the Phoenix Mercury led by Diana Tarazi, Brittany Griner, a couple future Hall of Famers. But when it was all said and done, it was the Aces last night and the guard play. Raquana Williams with 26 points, Kelsey Plum with 25, Chelsea Gray 17 points and 13 assists. Great game for the Aces to get the W last night and lead this series one game to none. Game number two tomorrow night at the Michelob Ultra Arena. So, All right, so we'll uh, recap that uh, for you today. We've also got boxing to talk about with the news yesterday of Manny Pacquiao officially announcing his retirement. He did it in the Philippines. Manny, 42 years old, arguably uh, one of the greatest fighters of all time, and for me, I will probably even say maybe even the greatest fighter of all time when you encompass... His entire career, the longevity, the accomplishments. I mean, nobody accomplished what Manny Pacquiao did. Eight weight division champion. Think about that for a minute. Eight weight division champion. So we'll uh, salute Manny Pacquiao today. We'll uh, talk about his career. And I know a lot of people say, well, you know, when these boxers announce their retirement, does it really mean anything? Is he really retired? Because so many of these guys, you know, come back, retire again, come back. And we saw with Floyd Mayweather Jr., we've seen it with so many fighters. But with Manny Pacquiao, you got to believe that he's probably hanging him up for good. And we can talk about that today. 42 years old, he is running for the presidency in the Philippines. So that has a lot to do with it, too. And Manny's a guy, he loves boxing. He loves competing, but he's had a lot on his plate for a long period of time, flying back and forth between the Philippines and Los Angeles. And uh, it, I think it's 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 definitely time. I think he thought long and hard about this after the fight that he lost here in Vegas to Yugos. And he didn't want to make a rash decision, but he kind of knew going into this fight this could be it. And then at the press conference after the fight, he said... Basically, thank you, boxing. And a lot of people took that as meaning, okay, he's done. But he didn't want to say he was done just yet. He wanted to take 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 some time. And he's taken the better part of the last five, six weeks to think about all this. And uh, so yesterday and then again today, he, he announced it via his Facebook page. He put a video out there and uh, news out there that, yes, Manny Pacquiao is officially retiring at the age of 42. Larry Merchant is going to join us today. Love having Larry on the show. Larry Iconic, Hall of Fame broadcaster, journalist, all those years with HBO, you know, covering boxing along with uh, Jim Lampley and company. So Larry Merchant is going to join us and uh, we'll talk about his thoughts regarding Manny Pacquiao and his 26-year professional career. All right, so we've got that going on today. Chris Bosio is going to join us. Major League Baseball, yes, it is the end of the regular season. The postseason is upon us starting next week. The Houston Astros, they can clinch their playoff berth tonight. They could be popping champagne if they get a victory over the Tampa Bay Rays. They got a wild come-from-behind victory last night where they never led until the bottom of the ninth inning. They went into that game trailing 3-2, to two and they got – Not one, but two bases-loaded walks. So last night you had the walk-off, walk-off, walk. walk. (laughs) That's what you had last night in Houston, uh, defeating the Rays, who many people, including myself and TJ Reeves, think that that is going to be your American League Championship Series with those two teams, which I hope so, because I've already got my Houston trip booked, I'm ready to go, and that's the way it's aligned out. So, Tampa Bay, take care of your business. Houston, take care of your business. And then I'll be a happy camper. There you go. All right. So, uh, you know, we've got plenty to, of MLB talk with Chris Bozio, the former pitcher, the former pitching coach, has that World Series championship ring with the 2016 Chicago Cubs. So, Boz will join us a little bit later on this hour. But uh, let's start the program and bring in. Our good friend Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal, covering the Aces last night, appeared with me, of course, on the halftime show last night, and uh, and of course he covers UNLV, the Raiders, and of course the great sport of boxing. So we'll talk to Sam about Manny Pacquiao as well, too. Sam, how you feeling, brother? TC, what's up, my man? Doing well. Appreciate you having me on. No problem. We got a lot to touch on, Sam. Let's first let's talk about what our eyes saw last night at the Mandalay Bay the Michelob Ultra Arena the regular season is behind us it was game 1 of the WNBA semifinals last night Sam and it was so good to see a packed house at the Mandalay Bay last night 7000 fans and really I don't know how you felt about it but it just it was it was different last night even though we've seen 7000 in the Mandalay before going back 2 and 3 years ago but we didn't see it, obviously, at all last year because the Aces weren't here. They're playing in Braden, Florida. We're watching the finals from a distance with no crowd, with a bunch of black curtains and everything. It was just weird. And then this year, we're open up the season with no fans. And then we have a maximum of 2,000 fans with season ticket holders. And then it gets opened up a little bit. But then now it's the playoffs. The fans were in abundance last night. And it's even going to be more fans coming up on Thursday because finally, Sam, the word is getting out. People are reading your your columns and, and your articles in the RJ, and hopefully listen to this radio show because it's you and I, my friend, that are banging the drum for the Las Vegas Aces.
1: Well, TC, it was um, it was a tremendous atmosphere. I know I know the attendance says seven thousand, but you know, Michelob Ultra Arena is a more intimate feel to it. It's not like one of these jam packed arenas. And seven thousand in Michelob Ultra feels like fifteen at you know Staples Center. I mean, it was a loud thunderous atmosphere and i really think it played a role in, in helping the aces win again win that game uh, first and foremost um tremendous competitive atmosphere great game back and forth um all night long you have a ton of high level but you know mvps future hall of famers olympians all-stars number one picks the whole nine yards two of the very best teams in the league uh, teams comprised of some of the best players to have ever played this game And and we saw everybody shine. I mean, we saw it was a tremendous, tremendous basketball game. I thought, um, again, the atmosphere, courtside, Raiders players, courtside, Dwayne Wade, Donovan Mitchell, Utah Jazz, uh, just tons of enthusiasm from the crowd. And, again, I really think um, it helped power the Aces, who who got off to a slow start. You know, Phoenix, let's not forget, Phoenix had played a couple playoff games, single elimination playoff games, and had a little bit of a rhythm coming into this game. I thought it took a a second for the Aces to find their groove, uh, but it really changed uh, really changed the pace of play in the second quarter there with a, a string of defensive stops, double teaming Brittany Griner, getting out in their transition offense, and then letting their guards do what they do uh, the rest of the game. Guards really controlled the pace and tempo, uh, and, and were able to stave off a, a, a pesky Phoenix team that's comprised of veterans that has championship DNA with with Diana Taurasi and Brittany Griner, and uh, were able to close uh, down the stretch. But but going back to you know your 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 comments, DC. Uh, the atmosphere was definitely incredible and, uh, and very singular, very unique. We haven't had playoff basketball here since September. I believe it was September 24, 2019, when the Aces lost to the Washington Mystics uh, in the best-of-five WNBA semifinals. But, but this is a, a different team. This is an experienced veteran team now that's steeled that's steel by the experience of losing in the WNBA finals that added veterans, experienced, grizzled veterans who have played in big playoff games, and, uh, and, they, and they played a, a tremendous uh, team game. Yesterday and come away with a ninety six ninety victory. So, um, like you said, expecting a, a raucous atmosphere in Game Two and uh, and another competitive game between two of the the four best teams in the WNBA.
0: You know, Sam. I mean, you know, with us, you know, covering the team and being involved with the team, you know, we've we've seen the development of this team and and there's in the organization. And for a lot of fans, they're still new to this. Maybe they've watched a couple Aces games on television or maybe they've been to maybe a one or two games, but you know this is a great time for fans in Las Vegas to re- actually now experience this. And we've been talking a lot about this all year. It's like, hey, this is going to be a great team to watch. It's going to be a fun team to watch, and come playoff time, it's time to get excited. And it's funny because well, I saw people at the game last night that I haven't seen before. And you made a great point talking about the Raiders. I mean, and seeing this relationship develop now between the Raiders and the Aces. And obviously the centerpiece there, the common denominator is Mark Davis, who owns both teams now. But it was great to see the Raiders players not only just being there, you know, coming there on their off night when they could be doing other things, but then partaking and throwing T-shirts in the crowd. And again, this just wasn't one or two Raiders. I mean, it was Darren Waller. I mean, you, and you, then, you know, you had about 10 or 11 Raiders that were there, okay? Uh, but then you had, like you said, you had the the NBA royalty there as well, too, with Donovan Mitchell and Dwayne Wade and others. And we've seen this, you know, for All-Star games and, and playoffs games, you know, going back a couple years ago. And it's, I just hope that more and more fans now are are getting a taste of this. And come Thursday night, that there are 9,000 fans there. And that's what Bill Lambier said today, that, hey, that's what they're expecting. And this continues to grow. The Aces do make the final, that they can actually turn people away and have it be a sellout crowd there at the Mandalay Bay because it's a great place to watch basketball. But more importantly, like we've been talking about, the Aces could be the first team to win a professional championship and they'll be the first ones hosting a parade here on Las Vegas Boulevard. I mean, if, if there's certainly
1: a, a, a strong possibility that, T.C., when you take a look at the, um, at the at the makeup of the roster, uh, you have bigs, you have wings, you have guards, you can play fast, you can play slow, you can play big, you can play small. Like, there's no style of basketball that this team can't play because of the, the, the personnel they have and um, and it really, I think, the course throughout the course of the regular season, again, this is a team that was in the WNBA Finals last year, I think the regular season for this group was about reintegrating Liz Cambage, about figuring out how Chelsea Gray can take control of this team, about Kelsey Plum finding her rhythm and, and, and becoming the player she is now, where, for, forget, you know, best bench player, she's one of the best players in the league, period. It was about finding out what lineups to go to and what situations, what works, what doesn't work, because this was a team, as we know, um, that, that had championship ex- expectations from the jump. It was all about getting that that one of, that top two seed. You know, not, not that the record wasn't important, but top two seed, get the double bye, stay healthy, and, and then figure out you, who you are so you can uh, deploy these different combinations and lineups and different things in the postseason. And the, the Aces certainly seem to have, have done that, where, where it feels like at this juncture of the year, they know exactly exactly who they are, uh, exactly what lineups work, exactly what lineups don't work. I think Bill Lambeer, has done a tremendous job, you know, having the pulse of this team and having a feel for what lineups to go to, when to go big, when to go small, um, when to play Liz Cambage, when when she needs to sit as she works her way back from COVID-19, when to run things through Chelsea Gray, when to run things through Kelsey Plum, when to run through Asia Wilson, so on and so forth. I mean, this is a very, very cohesive unit that's developed an uncanny chemistry over the course of the season. And, and then going back to, uh, you know, the support that the, the Raiders and that other NBA players have given this franchise, Throughout the course of the last few years, and just kind of the enthusiasm that they have for the WNBA, I mean, game recognized game, TC. You know, you know that. I mean, at the end of the day, these are the best. These are some of the best athletes in the world. I mean, Diana Taurasi is maybe the greatest basketball player ever. You know, on the women's side, and the skill level, and the athleticism, and the physicality, and and the the teamwork, and the IQ that these teams you know played with yesterday. I mean, it was again a great, great basketball game, a great showcase of the WNBA and, you know, for a national audience, a great showcase for Las Vegas and what, and what the Aces have built. So I'm with you. I think this team is, is right there on the cusp of, of a championship. I, I believed all year um, that they are going to win the championship. There's nothing that, that has deviated um, my beliefs uh, as so long as they can remain healthy. And that's, you know, that's always a big thing. They're, they're continuing to work this campaign back into the lineup after she missed uh, five games of COVID-19. But, but this this team has all the makings of a championship team. And uh, and if they can get through Phoenix, um, they'll be one step closer. And uh, I'm not writing off Phoenix by any stretch. They were right there down to the wire, and that's you know playing on running on fumes, and with Diana Taurasi banged up. But when you look at the, the makeup of the roster. Uh, the Aces—they—they they just feel like they're a championship-caliber team, and it's on them now to, to win five more games and, like you said, bring the first championship back to Las Vegas, uh, pro sports championship here to town.
0: All right, Sam Gordon joins us, uh, covers the Aces, uh, along as you with uh, UNLV, the Raiders, uh, boxing, and so much more for the Las Vegas Review Journal. We talk about the guard play, which is always yeah. important, Sam, when you're talking about. Uh, in, you know, in playoff basketball, college basketball, when we get to the NCAA tournament, we're always saying, hey, you have to have guard play. And that's is kind of unsung with a lot of people with the Aces. They always want to talk about Asia Wilson, the reigning MVP, and then, of course, Liz Cambage. But last night, it was all about the guards, and Raquana Williams with 26 points, career playoff high for her, Kelsey Plum with 25, and then Chelsea Gray with 17 points and 13 assists. Like I said, those three guards alone combined for 68 of the Aces' 96 points. And the Aces have never had guard play quite like this and i think it starts with chelsea gray just being your prototypical point guard who can dish the no look dimes but then she could score and we've seen her with game winning buckets and remember she has a championship with the la sparks and for people who don't know chelsea gray she is a phenomenal guard went to duke university and uh like i said got that championship with the Sparks. And she is phenomenal, and she is the missing piece to this puzzle for the Aces where Bill Lambert says, hey, I've got a veteran leader, I've got, you know, a gold medalist, I've got a WNBA champion, and I got somebody that I can rely on come crunch time in these playoff games.
1: And, you know what, CC, that's exactly it. I'm actually working on a piece um, that's going to run in the Review Journal this weekend about Chelsea Gray and her status as... You know, her moxie, her status as, as a leader and as one of the most clutch players in the WNBA. So that, that will be coming out this weekend. But, yeah, she's, she's so complete. She has no weaknesses in her offensive game, understands time situation at all times, three-level score, uh, can create for herself, can create for others. And the biggest thing T.C. doesn't care about her stats at all. It's about winning, and it's about making whatever plays are necessary to win. It's about, if, it's, if somebody else has a hot hand, she has no problem deferring. I thought there were stretches last night, as we saw, at T.C., uh, Kelsey Plum was heating up, scoring 20 points in the second half. Chelsea Gray had no problem deferring to her and letting, and letting Kelsey Plum handle the offense, run things through her. She's coming off double double ball screens, pin downs, and really uh, was in her groove. And then it was time to take control right back to Chelsea Gray, and, and she's able to do that. Um, the, the, the the backcourt, I think the thing that makes that this backcourt so unique is that everybody can create their own shot. Kelsey Plum is capable of creating her own shot. Chelsea Gray, as we talked about, can do that and so can Raquana Williams. And the most impressive thing, TC, when you talk about what they did last night, only three turnovers between them. I mean, they took care of the ball and were in total control. And I think that's, you know, Bill Lambeer touched on it last night after the game, Is that's what makes the Aces so hard to guard is because, yes, you have, to, you have to account for Liz Cambage, you have to account for, uh, for Aja Wilson, and you have to account for De'Arake Hamby when she's in there off the bench. And, and, and Phoenix has the personnel in Brittany Griner um, to match up with the Aces front court, so okay, you want to you want to match up with the front court. You got to account for these guards too, and, and you adjust the game plan. You want to take away what the guards are doing. Well, then you leave yourself vulnerable to to the pigs on the inside. So it's it's really a complete team, and it's so thorough, uh, th- thoroughly well constructed uh, in terms of the players, how their skill sets complement one another. And I'm I'm really curious to see what what adjustments Phoenix makes because the the guards last night were just so comfortable coming off screens, getting into the paint, and then making decisions, making reasoned decisions, looking for their own offense that if the Aces guards are able to just take control like that, like you said, guard play is so crucial in big playoff games at all levels, all kinds of basketball. If the Aces guards are going to control the the, the game like they did yesterday, this this series is going to be a sweep. Uh, Phoenix is going to have to do something to disrupt this guard play, but if you're going to do that, then you're giving up, you're giving up opportunities to, to the aces uh, inside. So it's kind of like pick your poison. That was the purpose of, of, of constructing a team in this matter. That's what the aces were vying for, and they've succeeded in constructing a really thorough and complete roster. So, um, you know, tip, tip of the cap to the way the guards played yesterday, and uh, now, now it's on to Phoenix uh, in game two to see how they adjust and try to slow down that three-headed attack, that spearheaded the victory last night.
0: There you go. Alright, Sam Gordon talking about the Aces. They get the victory last night, 96-90 over the Phoenix Mercury. The Aces lead the best of five WNBA semifinals, one game to none. It's funny, Sam, as we're there last night and then again, uh, you know, earlier today I was at the Mandalay Bay with practice and everything, and you see people that are, there, that are coming out of the woodwork now. And it's one thing for fans to come out of the woodwork and the celebrities. I understand that, but as you know- no, sam and i want to get your take on this now we're getting media that, that that are coming out of the woodwork and a classic happened earlier today when there was a national media members that came on out and they wanted to do some interviews and uh our good friend jiggy says okay well the press conference is going to be going on here pretty soon anyone else specifically you'd like and they go yeah uh, headquarters would uh, like me to talk to aja please oh. <laughs> Now, does that just say it all, Sam? Tell these ham and eggers to stay away, or if you're going to come, let's get it right, okay? If you're going to cover the sport, then cover the sport like you're supposed to cover the sport, right?
1: 100%. 100%. <laughs> and, um, you know, absolutely. And, and, you know, I know it's great for the franchise um, to, to get this additional kind of attention, and, you know, hopefully from their perspective, uh, you know, winning like this and, and playing in games like they did yesterday is going to be a boost to that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you completely. Got to <laughs> cover this more properly for
0: sure. <laughs> Just have a little fun there. That's it. All right, my friend, uh, you cover boxing so well. You're like me. You, you love it, and you're at every big fight. And we get the word yesterday that Manny Pacquiao officially retires 62-8-2, uh, 39 knockouts, but that's really not the story, Sam. The story of Manny Pacquiao is that he beat 22 world champions. All right, Marco Antonio Barrera twice, Oscar De La Hoya, Ricky Hatton, Miguel Cotto, Antonio Margarito, Sugar Shane Mosley, Brandon Rios, Tim Bradley twice, Keith Thurman, the last guy he defeated here in Las Vegas, and that's only to name, you know, some, and there are so many others there, but the guy did so much for the sport, and when you and I have talked before and asked each other, hey, who's the greatest fighter you've ever seen and this and that, Manny Pacquiao for me is that guy. Because this guy has spanned four decades. Think about that. Yeah. Four decades. So for me, the longevity fought everyone that was put in front of him. He never picked and choosed. He won or lost with class. And in, it's an anomaly in sports. But this guy, and I, and I hate to use this term, but this is apropos for Manny Pacquiao. I mean, he, he's the greatest loser that we've probably ever seen in the history of sport when things don't go his way and he gets a bad decision he got several of them in his career he just say well that's boxing uh Manny Pacquiao for me is if not the greatest I mean top two or three for me all time and I'll just say this before I let you, you say your thoughts Sam He never changed his style. He went into fights with that aggressive bulldog style, that mentality, that stick and jab and have that power. And he was just as lethal at 42 as he was at 22.
1: Totally, um, totally singular career, T.C. I mean, this is this is this guy's one of one um, to start at one hundred and five pounds and to eventually win a championship at one hundred fifty four pounds and the fashion in which he defeated Antonio Margarito, I mean, just, you know, un- certainly one of my most memorable uh, Pacquiao fights is that victory. But like you said, he, um, he fought everybody. He, he was uh, totally fearless. I think he embodied the spirit of boxing uh, inside and outside of the ring. He fought everybody. He, he, he never uh, never compromised who he was. He never, like you said, never compromised his style. He was going in there to mix it up, and, and more often than not, he was way more often than not, he was on the victorious end of things. And, and to think um, about all the world champions you named that he fought uh, to, in all the different weight classes, this is a guy that throughout the course of 25-plus years really wanted to challenge himself and wanted to bring out the best in himself, and in doing so, um, entertained millions and millions and millions of boxing fans, uh, not just here in the U.S., obviously, but around the world. I mean, he, he is one of the few fighters that transcended boxing where, where he was a global figure and, and really an icon. And, uh, and it's, you know, certainly not necessarily a surprise given, given the result um, in August when he, when he lo- loses to Jordan Ugas, And of course with the Filipino election looming in which he has uh, declared his candidacy and is running for office. But uh, like you said, you, you total class act, incredible fighter, incredible champion. And we're not going to see this again at TC. I don't think we're ever going to see, I mean, the eight, eight weight classes is, is, induplicable in and of itself. That is so hard to do And the way he was willing to push himself often coming in light, you know, several pounds lighter than his opponents on fight nights and still schooling, schooling them inside the ring. It's just, it was an un, uh, just a, an uncanny approach to boxing, especially now. Um, and the way he, he seeked out challenges one after another, even into his forties. Uh, I mean, he loses to your Dana Zougas, but let's not forget, he was supposed to fight Errol Spence jr. Who's considered by many, by most in in boxing, to be a consensus top five pound for pound fighter in the time of his career? That's just who he was. He wanted to challenge himself. He wanted to push himself. Push himself, excuse me. And he put on a heck of a show pretty much every time out uh, in doing so. So I, I, think I'm with you. I think Manny Pacquiao undoubtedly uh, is one of the five greatest fighters uh, that ever lived. Uh, an icon of his era. Uh, you know, one of the definitive fighters of his generation, of a generation along with Floyd Mayweather Jr. Uh, but but totally unique, totally singular, and uh, I, I'm going to miss watching him fight. I think we all will. Just just what he brought to the sport, uh, the enthusiasm, the charisma with, with which he fought, and, and, of course, all the achievements, um, they, they speak for themselves. I don't think we're ever going to see anybody like Manny Pacquiao again, and um, and just the tip of the cap to an I- iconic, legendary career uh, from from one of the greatest pound-for-pound fighters of all time, and he really... I mean, we, we talk about pound-for-pound all the time, T.C. He embodied pound for pound. I mean, there yeah. was not a challenge too big for him. There was nobody he wouldn't fight. So many iconic fights, and uh, and, and I'm never going to forget being there uh, for three of them that I was lucky enough right. to cover here with the Las Vegas New Journal. It was an incredible experience, and I'm going to miss Manny Pacquiao a lot.
0: It's not even just, you know, the the what he did in the ring with the fighting. And with Manny Pacquiao, he, he was so different than any other boxer and with so many athletes out there today, Sam, that, that are full of themselves and they have a sense of entitlement, Manny Pacquiao never had any of that. And I used to watch him just the way you know, he would conduct the press conferences in front of us and everything. But even outside of that, I would see the way he would treat uh, people fans, employees at the Mandalay Bay. Now, for those that don't know, Manny's favorite place in Las Vegas was always the Mandalay Bay. That's where he wanted to stay. So even when he fought at the MGM or T-Mobile Arena, he would stay at the Mandalay Bay. He, then he would conduct church services you know, down below there in the convention area, and you would have thousands upon thousands of people that would be there. He would just go out of his way to help people not only in Philippines cuz he gets all of that credit and people you know talk about that but for people here in Las Vegas I saw it with my own eyes how he would treat people and give tickets to employees at the Mandalay Bay or just you know people that couldn't afford tickets or whatever he is just a phenomenal human being that was always giving after give after give so we could talk about Manny Pacquiao the athlete Manny Pacquiao the senator Manny Pacquiao the professional boxer but Manny Pacquiao the human being the Manny Pacquiao that you and I got a chance to talk to and meet see that's what just resonates with me and you're right I don't think we're gonna you know see another Manny Pacquiao maybe the closest thing to Manny Pacquiao and it's going to be you know down the road when we can actually compare is Canelo Alvarez For Canelo fighting everybody that is put in front of him, you know, and, uh, you know, Canelo does have a little bit of a, of of a, an ornery kind of streak. He's not as, you know, he's humble like Manny, but he's, he's different. But as far as just longevity and being, you know, for the most part, a class act and being a warrior in and out of the ring and never going to decline fights. I got to say, maybe it's, it's Canelo a number two behind Manny.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I think there's a lot of, uh, Can- Canelo embodies a lot of those things though, that fighting spirit as well. You know, it, I mean, going back to his first mega fight, taking off Floyd Mayweather, uh, at that point, at that time, right there with Pacquiao was 22 the, 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 years yeah, old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, for yeah. sure. And willing to take on that challenge, knowing that he might, you know, sacrifices his, his perfect record. But, uh, I went out, I was, I was fortunate enough to see, um, to go out to, to wild card, Freddie, Freddie Roach's gym where Manny Pacquiao, um, I always conducted his training camp and, uh, you, the, the, the the fans were gathering outside of the gym, you know, well before his workout had even started, and and, and we out there after I left when when the workout concluded, and he made time for fans uh, after every single after every single training session would take pictures, would sign autographs. He really understood the power of his platform and was very gracious uh, in using that. So to your point, I mean, uh, an incredible, I mean, incredibly singular fighter and an incredibly unique. Um, human being as well as somebody with that kind of platform, that kind of power, that kind of reach that, that conducted himself the way he did. So uh, he was, I mean, he was incredible. And, and again, not necessarily a surprise that the retirement uh, that he announces the retirement or everything he's going through right now, uh, preparing for a presidential campaign, but but he blessed us, you know, for 25 years and 20 years here in Vegas uh, where, where he staged most of his biggest fights. Uh, he, he blessed us with some of the most memorable fights and, and performances uh, in boxing history, and, and his legacy um, is secure and, and will be forever. He's an eight-division champion, uh, 105 all the way up to 154. I mean, who can imagine that? And, and fought the best of his era, class act in the ring, class act outside the ring, and then left an indelible imprint on, on the sport of boxing um, moving forward. His, his legacy is, is second to none.
0: All right, Sam, real quick, just a quick answer here before I let you go. Obviously... There are still people that are questioning. Well, do you think Manny will come back? Maybe for one last fight. He announced his retirement. Do you think he actually does come back after this? Whether it's a swan song in the in the Philippines or maybe you know uh, one more mega fight, or do you think he truly is done? Gut feeling.
1: Gut feeling. I think this is it. I, I think this is it. Um, I, now, it, would it blow me over? If there's one more fight in the Philippines, uh, you know, sometime in the next, you know, early next year to, to, to help promote the presidential campaign, I wouldn't shock me. But I don't think that's necessary at this point. I think Manny Pacquiao's status as an icon inside, outside the ring is, is, is secure. And I don't think he needs another victory to help his presidential campaign. He's been a Filipino politician since 2010, a, Senate, a senator since 2016. He knows the game. Uh, he knows, he knows what, what he's striving for. Uh, in politics, and I think this is time where, the time where he makes that his full-time focus. There's no, nothing he left for him to accomplish in the ring. Yeah. So, my God, this is legit, for and,
0: sure. And I think he thought long and hard about this before he made this decision. He wouldn't make a premature decision. I think when Manny says, hey, he's done, that he wants to be done. And and unlike a lot of other fighters, I think, you know, we take Manny as words. Like, hey, he thought long and hard about this, and it, it, he's hanging it up for good. So, Sam, great stuff. Uh, appreciate it, as always, whether it's uh, Aces, Raiders, UNLV, boxing. Great stuff. We look forward to seeing you back at the house tomorrow night for game number two between the Aces and the Mercury.
1: Thanks, TC. Can't wait. See you there. Take Appreciate care. It.
0: There he is, Sam Gordon. Go check him out at the LasVegasReviewJournal.com. And uh, you can catch his videos with Raider stuff as well, his articles all there. And, of course, it covers the Aces, has basically covered the Aces since day one here in town. And he's a good follower on Twitter as well, too, at By Sam Gordon. All right, we've got more to talk about regarding Manny Pacquiao all right, so tribute to Manny Pacquiao today. Next hour, we're going to hear from a good friend, Teddy Atlas. He is going to chime in. Larry Merchant as well, the legendary commentator for HBO back in the day. Two guys that spent a lot of time with Manny Pacquiao covering uh, his fights. Teddy Atlas was actually Tim Bradley's uh, trainer across from Manny Pacquiao when, when they fought. Uh, I remember Tim Bradley fought Manny Pacquiao three times, and of course... Um, Teddy Atlas also you know worked for ESPN and covered those fights for uh, Manny Pacquiao over the years as well too. So uh, we'll have more of those guys, more of their thoughts and more talk about Manny Pacquiao next hour. When we come back Chris Basio is going to join us and we talk MLB playoffs. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physician. Don't make me beg. TC Martin. Of course you are a character. It doesn't mean that you have character.
1: The doctor is now in.
0: All right, let's talk a little Major League Baseball here. I don't know if this song is actually fit our next guest or not because this guy wasn't very wild, and I don't think he spent any time in the uh, you know California uh, you know penal uh, you know penal code or whatever they called it in the movie, right? Right? There you go. I don't know if he wore any orange jumpers or not. Chris Bosio, the former pitcher, the former pitching coach. What is going on, my man? Not
2: too much, buddy. How you doing?
0: I don't know. See, Numbchuck's playing a little uh, little wild thing here for you. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that fits you or not, because he has a pretty good control back in the day. And i you looked anything like uh, Charlie Sheen. The only thing Charlie
2: Sheen and I have in common was we, we shared a locker when they filmed the movie Wild Thing
0: in County Stadium. Is this a fact? Wait, wait. So do tell here. That's right. They, no, that's did, they they did film that. You're right. Okay. Thank
2: you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. We no. He they moved right in, and and I had a choice locker in the corner, and Charlie took advantage of it. You know, in that corner we had like Malder and Yount and Gantner, and those guys were down there, and those guys moved right in. So. It was pretty cool. I remember them changing up the stadium, and trying to make it look like Cleveland and vice versa. But right, um, it was it was very cool, and got to hang out with the cast a little bit, and uh, it was it was very cool. I remember those, them trying to pack County Stadium. They just opened it up, and I mean, there was forty five thousand people at that place for a couple of those scenes.
0: So how did they do that, boss? It, it Was it just like, uh, hey, uh, attention, anybody and everybody, all Brewers fans, come out here. We're going to be uh, filming a movie here, and, and and come out here. And and when did they do this on on off days, or the, or do no, they we, do things like a, after you guys completed a game and then just shoot some scenes?
2: Yeah, we we actually went on the road, and then they filmed that because Pete Bukovich was the first baseman. Right. Uh, one of the, the, the ball boys and our, and our bullpen catcher, um, and I think it was Andy Nessersmith. He was actually a bad boy on the home team. So he got to like really mixed in with the actors. So we got firsthand knowledge of everything, but when we went on the road is when they filmed it and they did, they opened up the stadium, I think, uh, three nights in a row when they did all the filming of that stuff. And, uh. You know, one heck of a party out there afterwards from what I hear.
0: And then Euchre just got to stay home. I mean, he, he stayed there in his, in his booth and got to do his thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it was
2: hysterical. And that's when Bob was back in his heyday. I yeah. mean, he, he was throwing batting practice every day and hanging out and, you know, took the cast out on the boat on Lake Michigan. And, you know, it was a, it was a great time.
0: All right, so let's let's go back to this. So let's start with Charlie Sheen. Like you said, she, you know he's basically taken over your your locker there. What was Charlie Sheen like back in those days? You
2: know, you you didn't get a chance to talk to him very often. I mean, mm-hmm. they hung around our workouts, to try to you know get the feel of everything, right. where we're gonna where they were gonna be. Um, I did have him sign a ball. I have a baseball in my collection. Mm-hmm. You know, from him, actually, I just looked at it the other day uh, that I picked up when he took my locker. I was like, hey, at least you can do sign a baseball <laughs> for me. So I, I have that. But, you know, they're all business when they get there. I mean, they want to they wanna nail this. Charlie went out in the bullpen, you know, tried to pick up some pointers down there when he was pitching. And he was actually he threw the ball well. He, he was pretty good.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, if, if you get a chance to – to see any of that. I mean, in, did any of these cast members, could they play a lick of baseball at all? I mean, look at Corin Burnson. He said, this guy's got no business on a baseball field. You know, I'm not sure about Serrano or anybody else, but, uh, but Charlie Sheen could actually bring it. I mean, I don't know. I can't picture this guy throwing, throwing faster than 70, 75, man.
2: Yeah, that's, it's more like 62. right 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 like, like you go, like
0: you're going to Cal Expo at the state Fair right there it is yeah they'll they can make
2: it look as hard as they want but it's sixty poo it's all of 62 and you know
0: right. they try uh, that makes sense funny stuff there all right uh, Chris Bosio a little and that's something you and I never ever talked about before and I don't know why we just I never kind of clicked it because I forgot all about that that they did film that at county stadium that's uh that's some interesting stuff there and of course like you said with euchre and everything as well too and euchre on top of the world i mean at that point in time this guy's doing tv in the off season he's making guest appearances i mean like i said he was at his height at that point in time
2: yeah he was in his heyday and him and bob costas doing uh, i believe it was uh was it monday night baseball back then and yeah yeah i remember when i was pitching with seattle I uh, pitched in a game in Texas when it was coming down to the wire there in 95, and those guys were the announcers. And uh, it was good to see Bob because of my days in Milwaukee.
0: All right, Chris Bazio joins us. All right, Baz, Astros and the Rays tonight Astros win or a Seattle Mariners loss? Uh, they clinch it. They can pop a little champagne. I don't know how excited you, know, you, you want to get. I mean, they kind of expected to, to get to the postseason here. When you're in a team of this type of situation and you've got higher aspirations, d- do you believe in the celebration or is it like, okay, let's, let's curb the enthusiasm here and let's, let's wait until you know, we actually you know, win a division or, or, or win the ALCS?
2: I think because it's such a dogfight, I think they'll celebrate a little bit. You know, it's different. Like, obviously, look at St. Louis. Very businesslike, but at the same time, what an achievement. Um, The teams that have been there more, I think they're going to be a little more ho-hum than the teams that have really overcome some obstacles and earned it. You know, nobody thought St. Louis was going to do this, but uh, you start winning like that, and look at Seattle. I mean, Seattle... They win went, they went a couple more games. It's going to get real interesting here in the last series.
0: Right, right. All right, so Astros in the Rays uh, tonight. Uh, Astros with a wild comfort come behind victory last night with the two bases loaded walks. And again, yeah. you know, kind of pick, picturing and penciling in both of these teams to face each other in the ALCS if everything goes according to form. But let's talk about these White Sox you know, for a second as well too. Still maybe not getting a whole bunch of love. What is your take about the White Sox?
2: They're a scary team because of, you know, what they can do with the long ball. You know, they're pitching. I think everything was really gonna center around Keichel in their rotation. Uh, Rondon, you don't know what you're gonna get. I, I'm I'm not gonna expect a lot out of him because he is hurt. Tycho's going to be the one because the other two are going to be able to hold their own. But, you know, Chicago's, they're going to have to score some runs to make this happen. I don't think the pitching was quite where they wanted it to be at the end of the year. And that's what happens when you, you know, you're able to stretch it out a little bit.
0: Who do you think in the AL has the best pitching right now, best starting pitching?
2: The best starting pitching? Oof. I would probably go with Tampa Bay.
0: Yeah, even, so though, even you, though they kind of mix and match a, a little bit the way they do?
2: They're the, they're the hardest ones to hit in the first five innings of the game. To me, that's the starting pitcher.
0: Yankees, Red Sox, Seattle, Toronto, all battling here for the wild card. Call it, man. Who comes out of here?
2: I think it's going to be Yankees, Red Sox. I think the Red Sox are going to find a way to, you know, somehow score some runs here in Baltimore. And then, uh, you know, the Yankees, <laughs> Yankees got their hands full, you know, uh, you know, they're not, they're not out of the woods yet. They've, everything's had to fall perfect for them, you know, and that's the big apple. I'm never going to say they're out of anything. Cause I've seen some crazy stuff happens, but boy, uh, one big hit by another team, and all of a sudden this whole scenario changes.
0: And this AL East has really been crazy. I mean, we've seen the Yankees go through you know losing streaks, and then we put winning streaks together. I mean, it's you know they haven't been really consistent at all. Even though, I mean, they're what twenty three games above five hundred, but in obviously you know not catching the Rays or seven back, but you got them the Red Sox and Toronto basically all within, you know, 3 games of each other and like you said, you know, the, they're going to be battling out here because you've got what Yankees and in Toronto here for the next couple of days, that's going to go a long way. And when you look at this Toronto team, I mean, I love them offensively, then I guess, you know, here's the question mark again regarding pitching. And, you know, then you throw Seattle in the mix and again, I mean, they were basically just you know, people viewed it as they were just selling off the farm. They're going, okay, we're getting rid of Graveman. We're getting rid of, you know, other pitchers and other players and that sort of thing. And then they came and have taken care of Oakland, like about whatever it is, four, five, six in a row now. And uh, they're still trying to make this interesting here. So uh, very interesting wild card positioning down the stretch here in the AL.
2: Absolutely. You know, and this is what it's all about. Teams that you don't expect to be there are there and could very easily get in this thing
0: now speaking of the yankees i don't know if you got this story boz that uh, the yankees have adopted a pet turtle are you familiar with this
2: yes i heard about it today
0: See <laughs> like the way he says it, that's the way i feel uh, what is this a, a pet turtle and know. they're undefeated they're undefeated after they got this adopted pet turtle named Bronxy or whatever. I mean, this doesn't even sound like a, a Yankee move, does it? I mean, what, what, is, what is going on here? And, and tell me, throughout your entire career, uh, either as a player or as a coach, uh, any nonsense like this uh, did, did you guys do? And this almost sounds like a Joe Madden move, really. It sounds like something happened in his clubhouse.
2: No, there's always guys bringing in bobbleheads stuffed animals, live lizards, iguanas. It's always somebody bringing in something. You know, and watch. the, the Yankees get in the playoffs, you're going to see turtles on top of Yankee hats right. in Yankee Stadium. I'm calling it. Yeah, I know, right?
0: <laughs> okay, hold on. You, you you said stuffed animals. Then you went to live iguanas. Uh, g- come on, give us an example. What's What's the strangest oh, thing that you want? Man. You walked into work one day and you go, what the heck is this? Come on, let's hear it.
2: We had a we had a pitcher way back when with the Brewers. His last name was Camacho, and he loved Iguana. He loved it. Well, he was able to find one. I don't know how, but he brought it to the clubhouse. He brought it in the clubhouse, and then he cooked it in the clubhouse. Was, on one of those hot plates. He, plate.
0: he cooked it. He cooked it in yep. Iguana. Oh
2: my yes, he did.
0: What, and what goes on on iguana? I mean, is it sandwich style? Know. Is it hot not, sauce? What do you do, man? <laughs> not me. Not,
2: <laughs> I was out the door. I was like, man, this. And he's like, oh, it's just like chicken. That is not chicken. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I thought you were going to go with they bring in the iguana because it's like the turtle. It's a good. It's a good luck charm, and it's going to be in the dugout uh, or something. No, they went right. Whatever, they went right to the grill, right? Jeez. I have no
2: idea if that thing was good or bad luck. I have no idea.
0: Oh, jeez. All right. Hey, come on, you got any other good clubhouse stories for us? Whether it's uh, I animals. Got, I got nothing. You, you got nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Boz only comes with good urinal stories. He comes with really strong urinal stories. There you go. Zip it up, Boz. There you go. <laughs> All right, you guys. You have a good one. Hey, I'm not done with you yet. You, you're not getting off. No, just you, you think I'm, going, I'm done with you? No, no. We're, we're talking about the National League now. <laughs> uh, get him back on the phone. I'm sitting here talking to him about the Cardinals. Man, 17 in a row. Let him know. oh uh, I, I think that's the first time that I've been hung up on by a guest. I've had some friends hang up on me before and I mean, Boz, you know, definitely is, you know, in, in that in that category. Yeah, and I'm trying to get it back on. I gotta find out what's going on here. Yeah, this and that. See now he's not gonna pick up your call. See, we're we're not done talking about the Cardinals. Yeah. Oh, he's trying trying trying, trying to blame us. Let's let's go. Okay. But Boz, I, I'm saying they were saying that you that you that you hung up on us, man. I said Boz wouldn't do no. that. Okay. That's, no, I got up and walked walked around the corner and clicked. Okay. I'm like, oh my god, he he did hang up on me. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> right. We kissed and made up. Uh, Cardinals, 17 in a row. I mean, when when they when they won five or six in a row, I'm going, yeah. So what? Seven, eight in a row. Is this a story? Eh, probably not. They're still w- far out. Ten in a row, then then they played the Cubs and they swept them. Then it went eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Now we're up to seventeen. What is going on there?
2: How about the Dodgers have to play the Cardinals in a one game playoff?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: yeah, that is unbelievable. If this thing stays the way it's going to go, I, I some of the stories that are coming out of the playoffs this year are absolutely incredible. You're talking about a Dodger team right now sitting with 102 wins. But more importantly, a Cardinal team that's won 17 in a row, that's going to need every one. Crazy. How does this I don't happen? Know what the, I, don't, I don't know what they're going to do in a one-game playoff. Who do you start?
0: Right. Well, here's the thing. If you've won 17 in a row, and then you look at the standings here, How are you still six games out of first place? Anybody that's won seventeen in a row, you'd think they'd either be in first place or at least making a knock on the door where they're, they're still in striking distance at a division title, and that's not the case. That's what's so strange about this team because I never really viewed the Cardinals as being a horrible team. I thought they were just a you know kind of a middling team. I mean, still you got Goldschmidt, you got Yadier Molina, you still got a good punch in the heart of the order there. Uh, they've won 17 in a row and they're still six games out of first place and not, e- and not even a lock for a wild card.
2: Uh, you know, I, I know it's, it's incredible. And the thing that I can't even grasp, I mean, if you think about the Los Angeles Dodgers, I think about a team that's struggled all year with a lot of different stuff. The Bauer thing injuries going through a, just a, a waiver wire, Piecing this thing together, and then making a huge, huge trade, and you know, and and, and getting Turner and probably the guy that's going to win is Cy Young and, and, and Scherzer, but you think about their team—they got 102 wins, but for most of the year they struggled. You know that's that's crazy to me. The 102 wins—you know how hard that is to do—and <laughs> they—and you really, I mean, it's not like they were overpowering. Bellinger really hasn't done anything. It's right. it's just amazing what has happened this year and, and what's going to happen in the next week.
0: Can you recall ever seeing two teams in the same division with over a hundred wins like this? The Giants at one oh three, the Dodgers with one oh one? Insane.
2: I mean I actually went went back and, and looked and no. I mean to think that those two teams, and for, now think about it, San Diego was in first place for a while. Right, and they're below right 500. They're right up there. Yeah. I know, absolutely crazy, and the same thing with the Mets. You know, I was listening to the broadcast last night, and and Keith Hernandez, that's all they talked about, It was like, this was a first-place team for a long part of the season, folks. You know, and to see where everything's at right now, who would ever think that the Giants would ever be where they're at? Well... They have stayed there the entire year. It's just amazing some of the stuff that's going on now. The Giants lose Belt. That's huge,
0: right? Right
2: for four weeks. It's... I got that guy came up big right there. That's a that's a big left handed bat. Yep. to lose when you need him most in that first round.
0: You got it. All right, great stuff, man. Uh, appreciate it, and uh, let's uh, talk to you next week, man. When we're in playoff mode, and uh, looking forward to
2: it. Great stuff. we got to get Dusty a win tonight. Come on, Dusty.
0: Yep, he's getting it. He's getting it tonight, man. He's getting it tonight. And uh, like I said, man, uh, I look for a nice little playoff run from Dusty and the Astros. We're rooting all for right. him. Talk to, you. talk to you guys. Appreciate it, man. There he is, Chris Bazio. Right. There you go. You got a little Wild Thing reference. There you go. You got Major League, the filming. Bazio saw it all right there. Charlie Sheen took his locker. Where else do you get that stuff? You got that. You got Euchre. You got iguanas doesn't taste like chicken clubhouse stories we should have asked if he if, if he left anything in the locker that's true that's true i don't think that that's the case but got a sign ball out of it all right next hour we'll talk some more boxing with manny pacquiao's retirement teddy is gonna join us larry merchant as well we'll talk some nfl also tc martin show on this wild thing wednesday